Want a fresh take on what's going on with the Saints, LSU, the betting world, and the NFL? Then you pick the right place. Jim Derry has plenty of datitude, and he's ready to tell you the way it is. Well, the way he thinks it is. Where you at, New Orleans? And hello to all my friends across the country who are already in football withdrawal and we haven't even got to the Super Bowl yet. Hello, everybody. I am Jim Derry, sports betting writer at the Times Picayune, the advocate in bet.nola.com, and this is Datitude, episode number 53 for a Friday. February the 4th, 2022, as we are about to transition ourselves into, well, let's just say non-football season, right? I mean, this is the toughest part of the year for many of us. I know I start getting down a little bit around Christmas because you know it's almost over, Um, especially in a year like this when you don't know if the Saints are going to have a chance to get in, even if they get in, or they you know they probably won and done. It was a weird year. 2022, 2021 was a weird year. 2022 shaping up to be just that. Um, and today we're going to spend most of our time, even though football is coming to an end, we're going to spend almost the entire show talking about football. More specifically... This Saints coaching search, and we're going to have Jeff Duncan on. And you know, one thing, and I get into it with him a little bit, is um, I was recently, let's say recently, last night, um, going through some of the numbers. I, you know, when I first started the podcast, I would like look and see how many people were listening to every episode. And, you know, I was all gung ho about getting this thing started. And you start doing it, and you don't follow it nearly as much after you get into it. You know, 53 episodes into it, I haven't really looked that much lately. I'll look at how uh, an episode does on SoundCloud, which is where I put this podcast up, but I don't necessarily go look at the other at the other uh, places where it's put up. Wherever. And speaking of that, you can, if you love this podcast or if you're a casual listener or if you just got into it and you don't know how to follow us and if you just get into podcast, search for Datitude wherever you listen to your podcast. Apple Play, Google Play, uh, Spotify, um, wherever you get your podcast, Datitude can be found. Just search for Datitude. That's Attitude with a D in front of it. Um, if you want to get in touch with me, you can always email me at jderry at theadvocate.com or on Twitter at Jim Derry Jr. That is the best way to get in touch. But uh, going through the numbers and... We're 53 episodes in, and we're inching up on 25,000 uh, plays. And I didn't think we would get here this fast. And uh, I really do thank the, especially the regular listeners. And I know there are plenty of you. I've heard from many of you, and I enjoy hearing from you. So please feel free to reach out to me, uh, whether it's something you want to get on the show or just something you have to say to me. But we're going to get into... The Saints coaching search with Dunk in just a few minutes. Um, And then we want to talk a little bit about the Brian Flores situation. And as we go through, now uh, the Saints, it's really down to three candidates for the Saints, right? Uh, Dennis Allen is the clear favorite. Uh, I don't think anyone denies that. I've said all along that my gut tells me 
it's not going to be Dennis Allen only because that's it's it's not all whenever you're making a bet or whenever you're thinking something's going to happen or whatever how often is it the clear and obvious choice and i'm not saying he's my clear and obvious choice i'm just saying in general the clear and obvious choice to be the next saints coach is Dennis Allen but it doesn't always work out that way so i think the other two candidates um and we get into it again with dunk in just a moment but Eric Bieniemy, I've said all along, was probably the the guy that I was hoping the Saints would be interested in. Not just because he's a New Orleans native and he hasn't lived here for a long time. So I mean, I guess he's been a, you know, I, I think it's been more than forty years since he's lived in New Orleans. And I didn't realize he was in his fifties when I started looking through this. But I think someone he he's sort of not his age so much, but he's sort of in the mold of what. The Saints hired when they hired Sean Payton. He comes from a great coaching tree in Andy Reid and what he's done with the Kansas City offense. And I also think hiring Eric Bieniemy would make it easier for the Saints to get the quarterback that they need. This team is not going to win without a good quarterback. And you can say there's good quarterbacks on this roster now. Well, There's really only one that I know of, Taysom Hill, because Jameis Winston, his contract's up. Now, they could re-sign Jameis Winston, and that's certainly a possibility. And I'm not opposed to that. But this team needs a quarterback. Taysom Hill's not going to lead this team to the Super Bowl. You can scream at your phone all you want. It ain't going to happen. And not only is it not going to happen, I mean that they're not going to win a Super Bowl with Taysom Hill's quarterback, the Saints aren't going to go into the season with Taysom Hill's quarterback. So be realistic to yourself. If that's what you want, that's not going to happen. I will tell you, I'll, I will eat my words, and I won't say gladly eat my words because I don't, I mean, I like Taysom Hill. He's a great player, but he's not a franchise quarterback, and he's going to be 32 years old next year. So getting a guy like Eric Bieniemy would really help you get the quarterback that you need. You know, Jeff Duncan has said throughout the season that he thinks that getting a guy like Russell Wilson to come here is a pipe dream. I don't think it is. No offense to Dennis Allen, but I think if Dennis Allen's the coach that it's a pipe dream because he's a defensive coach. Russell Wilson wants to go where he thinks he can win a Super Bowl. And while Dennis Allen's defense is outstanding and fantastic, and we're now a defensive-minded team, at least we were this past year, defensive-minded first, I don't necessarily think that's where this organization wants to go in the future. Um, Yes, you have to have a good defense to win a Super Bowl, I think. But I think you need to have a really good, maybe not a great, but a really good quarterback to win the Super Bowl. Think about who's in the Super Bowl this year. Joe Burrow and Matt Stafford are both, if they're not in the top five, they're certainly right around it. Who was in the Super Bowl last year? Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. I mean, you could argue they were one and two last year. 
and you can go to the past, and very rarely, Trent Dilfer, I mean, you could say Terry Bradshaw back in the day, very rarely, and Terry Bradshaw in the day was probably a top 10 quarterback. Um, but if you go back in time and pick through teams that won Super Bowls, what do they all have in common for the most part? Great quarterbacks. The Saints aren't going to the Super Bowl with Taysom Hill. The other candidate is Aaron Glenn. And I found it interesting. We'll get into that again in, in a moment. But uh, Aaron Glenn is a rising star in this, in this league. And he's going to be a head coach soon. And he's got a realistic chance to, to win this job as well. But then you kind of run into the same problem you run into with Dennis Allen. If Aaron Glenn's the coach and you're thinking defense first, what does that do? I don't know. I'd rather talk about that with Duncan, who knows about, more about it than I do. But again, we're going to touch on the Brian Flores situation, and what a mess. Um, you know, no matter how you feel about what he said, think about it realistically. Why would someone in his age say what he said and make the claims that he's making if they weren't true. I mean, I don't know if they're true or not. But you don't come out and make claims against organizations, especially the one he just worked for. You know, let's put the... the... Uh, the claims against the Broncos and Giants aside for a moment that he didn't get a real chance to get that job and that he felt like the Rooney rule was being used and that he was just the token candidate. Let's put that aside for a moment because that's hard to prove in the grand scheme of things. What's not hard to prove is some of the accusations he made with the, about the Dolphins who are a mess and the thing that struck out to me, that stuck out to me, I should say, offered $100,000 for each loss a few years ago, a couple years ago, because they wanted a better draft pick. You hear it all the time, and I have always been vocal about this. You hear it all the time, fans saying, if we're not going to make the playoffs, I want to lose to get a better draft pick. First of all, that's asinine. To quote one of my favorite personalities in sports back in the day, Herm Edwards, you play to win the game. I hate that. Let's lose on purpose. Because getting the third pick in the draft or the seventh pick in the draft is going to make a difference for your organization. You don't know. Or getting the first pick or the fourth pick. You don't know. Look what it did for Jacksonville. Trevor Lawrence. Boy, he made a big difference. Is he going to get better? Who knows? I'd rather win my last two games of the year and give my team confidence. Kudos to the Detroit Lions for, and I'm not kidding, 
playing through and busting their asses to win football games as best they could going forward and not caring whether they pick first, second, third, or fourth. Kudos to that organization. But I digress. We're going to get to Brian Flores in a moment. My point is, especially when it comes to the Dolphins, how can you not believe him? Why would anyone say what this guy is saying is not true? Do, does anyone, can anyone out there fathom what this guy is putting on the line to make these accusations at 40 or whatever years old, three years coaching as a head coach in the NFL, and you're just going to totally dismiss him? Because what? Or maybe you don't like that he's a whistleblower if he is telling the truth. Someone's got to tell it. I appreciate what Brian Flores is, is saying, and I hope he doesn't get blackballed. But he might. And if he does, it's a shame. If no one gives Brian Flores a chance to coach in the near future, whether it's this year or the following year, I mean, if you're the Houston Texans, why wouldn't you want to hire Brian Flores? I mean, the Saints could make an argument. You know, some people are saying, well, why not if you're the Saints? I mean, the Saints could make an argument that Dennis Allen is already a defensive mind in here and still fairly young and obviously knows the organization, or an Aaron Glenn, for that matter, knows the organization. They might both be better candidates for this particular organization than Brian Flores. But if he, the Houston Texans, why wouldn't you hire him? It's a good question. But I'm not in favor of the Rooney Rule. Um, I don't think it helps anything. I really don't. I think that teams should want to, to bring in and talk to and look at the best candidates. And the best candidates more often, or at least as often as not, should be minority candidates. I think minority, there need to be more minorities in, no one talks about upper administration, general managers, team presidents, directors of pro player personnel. Why don't we talk about those more often? Because to me, that's where it starts. And that's where more focus should be. We're going to get into all that. In fact, let's get into it right now. Uh, let's bring in Jeff Duncan. And um, we talk about the Saints coaching search. We talk about Brian Flores. And just maybe a little bit of a snippet of what we think about Super Bowl 56. I will warn you, Dunk's, we, we have a nice long conversation, but Dunk's power goes out at the end of the, the, the conversation. So it's kind of a, um, an abrupt ending there. So when you get to that part, you'll, you'll understand what happened. And after uh, Jeff Duncan, we will have on Uncle Big Nick uh, for uh, you know, a brief conversation. He's done really well with golf bets. But I wanted to talk to him now that the, the apps have been live here in Louisiana. Uh, I do want to chat with him about just kind of a betting philosophy and how we need to be careful because it's easy to get locked up in betting almost anything. I mean, you can bet almost anything. 
But I do want to get into it with he has been great in golf. I want him to help us think about how to to maybe have some fun with it and win a little bit of money a bet in golf. I also want to talk about prop bets in the Super Bowl coming up and our philosophies on how to make a prop bet and not just who's going to win a coin toss or who's going to get uh, what color Gatorade there's going to be. All that's fun, but that's what we're supposed to do. So that's coming up next. First, the man, the myth, the legend. Sports columnist here at the Times Picayune. Welcoming into the Datitude podcast on a Friday morning, Times Picayune sports columnist Jeff Duncan. And uh, before we get started, Duncan, I just want to let you know that, uh, you know, I was going through some of our numbers, you know, where this is episode number 53. Um, I was going through, let's, let's see who's listening to this thing. We've done probably better than I thought I would do uh, this far in. But one thing I noticed is, the podcast that Jeff Duncan's on, those are the ones that do the best. So we, uh, people want to hear what you have to say, and we, we thank you for, uh, uh, you know, you have. This is probably the ninth or tenth time that you've come on the show, and uh, we certainly thank you for for being a part of it and and helping us grow. Well, my uh, family members are doing their part, obviously, uh, along with my uh, <laughs> closest, closest friends who I'm paying. To listen to the podcast so we can build up the audience. All right. Well, all those Starbucks gift cards are paying off here on Datitude. <laughs> uh, Dunk, let's get into uh, the, the hot topic for us here in New Orleans, obviously, is the Saints coaching search and where we are. And I, I do want to give you a, a little a little kick in the ribs first before we start. Uh, we I was reading your column about uh, potential candidates and obviously is a couple of days old now. So, you know, you can take the, like Doug Peterson can come off the list now and stuff like that. And Eric, this is before we knew for sure that Eric Bieniemy was going to interview. But one thing you need to know as we get into odds and I'm the sports betting writer. So I noticed these sorts of things, but you're laying your odds on who is going to be the next coach. And obviously Dennis Allen's the favorite. I don't think anyone denies that Dennis Allen's the favorite, but you got even money on Dennis Allen. The rest of the numbers are 20 to 1, 30 to 1, 40 to 1. <laughs> you, you can't have even money on one guy, and then your, your next best odds is 20 to 1. The, the lines makers would kill you. I know. I, I actually heard from uh, Mike Diliberto, you know, the, 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 uh, the you? odds maker, tell me the exact same thing. He goes, your line is way off. <laughs> it's just numerically, you know, the laws of probability are wrong. And I was like, well, I was just trying to set the tone for the readers that he was clear, decided. Okay, well, then maybe you make him like a, like, you know, you know horse racing odds better than anybody. Maybe you make him next time you, you do two to five or something like that. that that's, that's what I was instructed. I, look, I'm not a I'm morning line odds maker. I, obviously, I screwed that up. And you know what? I, I'll say this before we get into it, because I know we're going to talk coaching search. But, you know, we, we knew about BNME at the time, but he had not accepted uh, the request. So I couldn't add him into the mix. But, uh, you know, in the last, I'd say, 72 hours since I wrote that, I would say I would move Eric, Eric Glenn up. I, I think he's you probably – You Aaron Glenn up. Yeah, I think he's the clear number two right now. And I didn't think that at first because I thought there would be heavy emphasis on uh, head coaching experience. But he really is – impress people in, involved in the uh, in the search and we can talk about each of the candidates if you want but he's one that uh, I probably had ranked too low interestingly enough um, I, I've been saying since the beginning I just had a, I have a gut feeling I don't know what it is 
Uh, maybe it's the better in me who it's too easy that it's Dennis Allen. Um, just something in my gut tells me it's not Dennis Allen. So that's why I'm, I'm, I've been high on Eric Bieniemy since the beginning for multiple reasons. And I know he's not young like Sean Payton was back in the day when they first hired Sean Payton. I think he's somewhere around my age. He's in his early 50s, right? Bieniemy? Yes, correct. Okay, so yeah. he, he's not a young pup. But the coaching tree that he comes from, the fact that he's a New Orleans native, and I know he hasn't lived here since, since I think he moved in 79 or something like that. But – just what he's been able to do throughout his career, um, the kind of player he was, the, and being able to coach that prolific offense, he just seems to kind of fit the mold almost of what Sean Payton was when he came in. So that's that's who I want to start with. I know he, he hasn't interviewed yet, and so you know you can't get a feel for what the Saints think about him. But as far as a coaching candidate, why hasn't he gotten more real chances before now? You know, I, I don't know the answer to that, J.D. I mean, he's had a bunch of interviews. I think he said seven yeah. <laughs> interviews for head coaching jobs. Uh, you know, the only comparison I can make would be maybe maybe he's a very similar version of Pete Carmichael. I mean, Pete Carmichael is almost the exact same resume. Coach, he's the offensive coordinator, doesn't really call the plays for an offensive coordinator type head coach, a dominant head coach, Andy Reid and Sean Payton. Uh, uh, Pete had a bunch of interviews around the league, never got really uh, close to getting a job. And it seems like he's not going to be in that mix anymore. He didn't even get an interview this hiring cycle. Uh, so maybe the enemy falls into the trap of uh, being considered a, a coordinator, an assistant and, and not a head coach. Well, I, he's the guy that from the beginning that I kind of had my eye on and I know he's a long shot, but I just think someone like that. And and look, I know that if they brought him in, it would be rough because the saints would have to, I mean, you can't imagine a Dennis Allen would want to stay, or if he did, he wouldn't want to stay long. uh, If, if they hired Eric B or, or whatever, Uh, obviously Pete Carmichael wouldn't stay. I wouldn't think, um, and so it would be a strange situation. So I know he's a long shot, but that's the guy to me who seems like um, it certainly would be an interesting fit. They'd have to commit to bringing in a real quarterback um, with no offense to anyone that is potentially a Saints quarterback next year. Um, so that's an interesting one to watch, I think, as we go forward. Um, talk about Aaron Glenn. Um, obviously a former member of this staff, Um you know, interestingly enough, people might not remember the Saints had a chance to draft Aaron Glenn and they whiffed. I mean, they just flat out whiffed on drafting Aaron Glenn. He should have been a Saint. Um, but what he's done in his short time as an assistant and how far he's risen up the ranks, I'll tell you what, I don't think you could go wrong with a guy like that. Oh, well, he's going to be a head coach in the NFL. I, I, I guarantee that. He's extremely well thought of. Uh, he's done a terrific job in every role he's been in. You know, he started in the profession as a scouting assistant. So he's kind of worked his way up, but he's also been on the personnel side. And I think the thing that the Saints like about him is he, you know, he came from the Bill Parcells tree the way Sean Payton did. Uh, he played for Parcells in the league. So he has a lot of the same qualities that, that uh, Parcells, uh, you know, uh, embraces. And uh, Aaron Glenn also knows the Saints culture. And, and there really is two things. If you look at this pool of candidates, J.D., 
that they all have in common. They have, they have at least one of these qualities. One would be uh, they've been a head coach somewhere before. Um, uh, the only one that probably doesn't meet this match, uh, I'm sorry, they, they've been a head coach before or they're familiar with the New Orleans Saints culture. So that would be AG, that would be Dennis Allen, certainly Darren Rizzi, or like Brian Flores and Doug Peterson, they've been head coaches before. And then the enemy, I think, is just an intriguing choice for a lot of reasons. Like you said, uh, he's got a great reputation as a play caller. He, he's a very dynamic personality. When you see him speak, he's impressive. Uh, he's the kind of guy, I think, that kind of galvanized men, you know, at that level. Right. Uh, he's, but, but he's the one person that in this interview uh, cycle that is, doesn't have one of those two uh, characteristics. And I, I think the one person that has both of them, though, is Miss Allen. And that's what I think makes him the clear front runner. Been a head coach. He knows the Saints culture. So he's obviously the, the uh, front runner. But I would say I think your instincts are right on not knowing uh, which way they're going to go. I mean, that's the one thing about Mickey Loomis, who's making this decision and is actually the subject of my column this weekend. Uh, you know, I haven't written about Mickey much the last few years, but this is a huge decision he's making. Really, he's got the future of the franchise in his hands. And Mickey is a tremendous poker player. I mean, seriously, like off, off away from the game. I mean, he's oh, a that's great good to know. Player. I'd like to get a table. Oh yeah, and one of the reasons he's good is he's got a great poker face, and I think we're seeing it right now. I mean, he we met with him the other day at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, and uh, we were able to talk to him on the record and even off the record. And I still don't know anything any better which way he's going to go in this coaching search. I mean, that's how good he is at like not tipping his hand. One thing I like about Mickey Loomis throughout the years is he hasn't he doesn't mind that. He doesn't get as much uh, public recognition, I guess is the way to put it, as some of the other GMs. And he was A-OK with Sean Payton getting so much of the glory when they did things well and behind being a behind-the-scenes guy. And I've always been fond of Mickey for being able to not only do that, but he seemed to embrace that role. That's a great point, and it's also a great quality for Mickey Loomis uh, I've talked to him about that. I mean, you know, he he truly believes he came up in Seattle as an executive on the business side of the Seahawks operation and was, uh, you know, an understudy of a, a former GM named Mike McCormick. A lot, not a lot of people are familiar with him, but uh, he had a strong influence on on Mickey Loomis and his managerial style. And Mickey believed, as McCormick did, that the quarterback and the head coach are the face of the franchise, the general manager should be operating in the background, and his job is to provide uh, an atmosphere and culture uh, for success for the head coach and the and the quarterback, and and to uh, you know kind of cultivate a successful culture behind the scenes, and to provide the resources those two positions need to be successful, and that's exactly what he's done here. And I think knowing, I remember having a conversation with with Mickey. I don't think he would care that I share this, but I remember having a conversation after the Saints won the Super Bowl. It was a few months afterwards, and he said, you know, my job right now, about 75% of my job is is managing our egos in this building. Uh, and he said our head coach, our, you know, players, people <laughs> below them. He said that everybody is, you know, celebrating, and rightfully so, 
but we've got to get our feet back on the ground. And you just get a sense with Mickey, he's always got his feet on the ground, right? And so I think people should have confidence. Saints fans should have confidence. Uh, one of his great strengths, I think, is his judge of, of people. And, and, and the guy making this decision is no doubt Mickey Loomis. I think he should have comfort in that because he's proven he can, he can get the job done in that area. I know this. Mr. Benson had a ton of confidence in Mickey Loomis, and obviously Mrs. Benson um, feels the same way. Uh, I think they, the Saints' administrative, top administrative staff, and you talk about Dennis Lausha, and you know, I, I, I just think the Saints have a great top staff, and as long as they're here, uh, you got to feel like this team's going to have a chance to be successful. Yeah, and they're all involved in the coaching yes. search. Um, you're going to have Dennis Lausch's. He's been zooming in. Now, he met with uh, in person with Dennis Allen and Darren Rizzi uh, on Friday. They did interviews, I'm sorry, on Thursday in New Orleans. Uh, and then the other people involved, uh, obviously, Jeff Ireland. I think Saints fans are familiar with Jeff. He's the assistant GM. Of course. He's been a general manager in the past. He's very sharp. And the guy that people might not know much about, Kai Harley, the, the contract negotiator, director of administration, also very, very shrewd guy. And the guy that I think is a rising star in the organization is Michael Parenton, who is the director of pro personnel. Uh, he replaced Terry Fondo, who went to the Falcons. And Mike Parenton is from Thibodeau. He's a Louisiana native, played at Tulane, 36 years old, J.D. Um, this guy is going places. And um, he's also heavily involved. So it's a collaborative effort, which is way Mickey Loomis likes to operate. He ultimately will make this call, uh, but he wants input from everybody. And it's interesting how they're divvying up the, the interviews. Each interview is about six hours. And uh, he, basically they're giving different uh, assignments to each person that's going to do the interviews. So maybe Mike Parenton might talk to the, the, the interview candidate about uh, personnel procurement and what their philosophy is on that. And, and, and Kai Harley might get uh, how they will handle salary cap stuff. And they, so they don't overlap and they all get a good read, a good thorough read. And I think the fact that this is the second go round for Mickey Loomis in, in hiring a head coach, he's much better at it now than he would have been back in 2006 when he hired Sean Payton. He, has to ha he hasn't had to do it very much. So, no, I know. And he talked about that. He had a funny line, too. He said, uh, he said, you know, I've made two head coaching hires in my career. Um, he hired Mike New to be the voodoo head coach back in 2004. I think people forget no, about very that. Very well. And he, yeah. And Mike New was a great hire. And then he hired Sean Payton. He said both of them were former quarterbacks, and both of them were born on, I think he said, I forget the birthday, but they both have the exact same birthday. So he really? said that kind of narrows my pool of candidates this time around because I got to find another and guy with the same birthday and, and was a quarterback. They both played in the MAC, I believe. Yes, yeah, he mentioned that too. So that's uh, that is kind of weird. The same birthday, I didn't know that. But but January, I, I think you know Mickey. Mickey is very. Um, that's I take. I think his great strength is is judging people and, and understanding different personalities and and characteristics, and uh, that's why I think. He's knows, you know, he's in a little bit of a, a, a time crunch here a little bit. He wants to take his time because he knows how important the decision is. But he also knows he's got to kind of move on because think about it this way, Jim. Uh, a bunch of the Saints coaches right now, are, their lives are hanging in the balance. That's right. They, they don't know if they're going to be retained on this staff or they're going to have a job. And Mickey is very sensitive to that. 
and he wants to try and uh, you know move this p- uh, process along as quickly as he can because he he wants those. I mean, he knows those people and he knows their families. And if they're not going to be here in New Orleans, they need to get started on finding a job somewhere else. And those jobs are drying up very quickly. Indeed, they are. Uh, and I, I definitely think that plays a part in uh, the swiftness of um, when this move would be made. I said before, I thought it would be made either right before or right after the Super Bowl. And I'm sticking with that. I think I think we'll, we might know by this time next week and we'll find out soon enough. Jeff Duncan here on the Datitude podcast on a Friday morning. Um, uh, there are obviously the two other candidates I want to talk about. I'm going to say Brian Flores for last because there's a lot involved with that. Um, Dennis Allen, again, the clear favorite to, to take this job. If to get this job, if the saints want to stay status quo and the saints are known as a loyal group of people, I mean, that's it's, it's worked for them in the past. Um, if you want to stay as close to status quo as possible, if you think you have, a lot of the pieces in house to go forward and be a Super Bowl caliber type team again. If you think you're just a couple puzzle pieces away, then Dennis Allen's probably going to be the pick. Well, here's the way somebody put it to me at the Senior Bowl. Somebody with the Saints organization. They made a great point. They said we're uniquely different in this coaching cycle, coaching search cycle, than other organizations. You know, Sean Payton was highly successful, and he just elected to step down and walk away, uh, similar to kind of Bill Cowher, what he did with the Steelers. Yep. So they don't need to reinvent the wheel here in New Orleans. It's already been invented. The culture's in place. Uh, the winning atmosphere's in place. The formula to win, everyone knows. So they're not in the same position that a lot of these other franchises that are trying to maybe overhaul the roster, start over. That's not the case here. So that gives Dennis Allen a huge advantage in this coaching search. He's been a head coach. He knows the roster. He knows the front office executives. He knows the building. He knows everything about the Saints. He's been there 12 years. So uh, it's going to take someone, and, and Mickey's been very honest about that. I think he's. I don't think he's uh, bluffing when he says, yes, this guy's a great candidate, and we really like him. But I also believe him when he says, hey, I'm going to be open here. If somebody comes in and can uh, basically overtake him and impress us, we'll hire them too. I don't think he's bluffing at all there. But I think he's being clear that Dennis Allen is a very, very strong contender here. Although you did just mention how great of a poker face Mickey Loomis is. So maybe we don't know if he's bluffing or not. Yeah. And look, I, <laughs> I get that. But, you know, I've covered him for I'm 20 years. I, I, yeah. I mean, the, the way I've always been with Mickey is on camera. I mean, he is definitely going to have the poker face. But you get him off the side, you know, and you talk to him off the, off the record, which I've done a lot. Um, he still doesn't tell you everything. He's going to keep his cards close to the vest, but you can get a general sense with this. And, and I know he really likes Dennis Allen. He's always liked Dennis Allen and everyone in the building likes Dennis Allen. So, uh, it's going to take somebody, I think really to come in and, and, and do something extraordinary, I think to, to beat him out for this job. And you talk about families and whether they'd have to uproot. I mean, Dennis Allen's one of those. He is kids in in high school here in the new orleans area he yeah his kids are swimmers they're they're pretty good athletes but they're also they obviously are well rooted here and you talk about how long he's been here so that comes a part of it too i mean his kids are well entrenched into the new orleans metro area and so it would be a, a tough move not just because if he doesn't get the job not just because he didn't get the job 
but probably for his family as well. And I, you know, I know people don't think those things come play a part in decision, but like you said, somebody I think is going to have to blow the saints away for him not to get the job because they're such a loyal organization. And I think that actually plays a part in it. Oh, hundred percent. It does. They're very loyal and they very much value stability and continuity. They, they believe in that sometimes to a fault. You could say on the, the basketball side of the operation, they hung on to some people too long yep. that maybe weren't the right person and uh, might have retarded the progress of the basketball. <laughs> oh, gentry. A year uh, or so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so, you know, but I, but I think you err on the side of uh, status quo in this. Now I would say this, I want to, I want to make this clear to people. If Dennis Allen does get hired, it's not necessarily going to be a rubber stamp and this whole staff's intact. Um, I think there's going to be changes, and I think whoever gets the job, there's going to be changes, uh, whether it's an internal candidate or an external candidate. So that's why Mickey Loomis, I think, is trying to move this thing along quicker than maybe some of the other coaching searches because uh, he knows some of, some of these longtime assistants here might not be retained, even if Dennis Allen or Darren Rizzi get the job. Okay. We'll, we'll see about that again I, you know, we talked about odds and, and kind of joking around, but I think Dennis Allen is probably more like um, the two to five favorite. I mean, if you want to talk about it, I mean, I think it's, there's a 75% chance, maybe 80% chance he gets the job and it's 20% at someone else. And I, I think yeah, that I would agree with that. I think the only, the only, I mean, no offense to, to Darren Rizzi, but I think the only other chances it's, it's either going to be Aaron Glenn or Eric Bianami are the only, other two options, I think, in, in that case, which leads me to Brian Flores. Oh, it, it's, it's a tough situation to uh, – it's obviously been a hot topic all week long and uh, his, his lawsuit against the NFL and you were at the Senior Bowl in Mobile and um, it's been a hot topic there. It's, it's a touchy subject, but, you know, I, I know a lot of people aren't going to agree with me when I say this, but – you have to have respect for a guy who is willing to put his career on the line to talk about things that he's talked about and brought up in a lawsuit. He's only what, 40 years old. He's put his entire career on his line on the line, which leads me to, I have a hard time believing the things he's saying aren't true. Why would you say these things if they aren't true? And it's not like he's 64 and going off into the sunset and saying, you know what, I'm going to burn every bridge I can going along the way because who cares if I get another job again? This is a guy, he hasn't even come close to the height of his career yet. He's, I thought he did a great job with Miami, and now who knows if he'll get I mean, he should be the leading candidate in Houston. Who knows if he's going to get the job or not because he put all this out there. Yeah, I look at Brian Flores as almost a carbon copy of uh... – Dennis Allen, uh, you know, he went again, had coaching experience for basically three seasons. Uh, he, he was actually more successful than DA, but it was in a dysfunctional organization. I think it's pretty clear the Dolphins There's allowed no dysfunction. So people around the league recognize that. They understand he's coming from really a highly unusual situation, and I don't think they're going to hold that against him. But how this lawsuit now affects uh, his you know, he's going to end up being basically the Colin Kaepernick of coach. That's exactly where and, I was And I agree next. with you. I agree with you, Jim. Like, I have no doubt that what he's saying is true. 
Now, whether he can prove that in a court of law, if it gets to that point, is a whole other matter. But it might not even be what he wanted out of this lawsuit. He may just want to send up a red flare because he saw the inequities in this process and is just trying to, uh, you know, inst- institute change in the process. And I think we all agree they need to, there needs to be a change somehow. I don't know the answer to it because the NFL, as long as I've covered the league, they've always had minority coaching programs, hiring uh, policies. I mean, it's been on the forefront for decades, but it's clearly not getting the results. And I don't know if it ever will until we get changes in ownership. Because I think that's the root of the issue is the owners are the ones controlling the league and the hiring process. And uh, we need somehow a little more diversity in those ranks. But I don't know the answer to that because are you going to go in if you're Roger Goodell or the other owners and pass some kind of a policy that's going to say Jerry Jones can't hand the Cowboys down to his his uh, you know children who have been part of the legacy and been part of the organization. That's that's where we're at in the league, and and so I don't know the answer. It's a very complicated situation, but I do thoroughly believe that they need more diversity in the key positions, not only in the coaching side but also the executive side. It leads me to the Rooney Rule, and I I don't want to sound either hypocritical or contradicting myself, but the Rooney rule doesn't work. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of a farce almost. Um, these owners that bring in minority candidates when they're not serious about them to me is, a, is more of a detriment than anything. And it, it's we've, to the point now where minority candidates are, I mean, they go in and they, they take these interviews because they almost have to, right? If they want to be head coaches later on, they have to go take these interviews. But you go into an interview, if you, go, I mean, if you go into an interview knowing you're not getting a job, I mean, I've done it. I've gone into an interview knowing I'm not going to get a job. And it's hard to do that interview, really. I don't know, again, and I, I don't know what the answer is, but let's stop this farce of, of bringing, in, bringing in minority candidates if you know you're not going to hire them. If you want to look like, if you want to look like, uh, you know, this is 2022. This isn't 1982. If you want to look like, I don't even know how to put it. If you don't want to bring in the minority candidates on your own and have that look for yourself, then everyone's going to notice, right? I don't think we need this Rooney rule anymore. I don't think it's doing anyone any good. Yeah, and I would say this. I, you know, I, I, I'm in defense of the teams here, too, because – what are they supposed to do? They are the ones that have to adhere to these policies. I agree. If they want to hire somebody, uh, you know, if the New York Giants want to hire Brian Dayball, that's the guy they, they, they think they want to hire. They've done their due diligence. They probably wouldn't, wouldn't put people through the token interview process if they didn't have to, but they have to. So that's really the problem. And I even talked to a, a, a minority coaching candidate in the, in, during Senior Bowl week about this. And he said it really does put uh, him and uh, his you know, colleagues in a crunch. What are you supposed to do? You know you're not going to get the job. But if you don't go, word gets out that you, you know, you're not going to go on these interviews. Uh, it's good experience to do it, but you know you're not going to get the job. I mean, it's a no-win situation for the, for the most part. So everyone in the league knows. And, and it's not – I would say this, too. I mean, and this may not – I hope it doesn't come out the wrong way, but, like, there's also – white candidates that are going through token interviews, you know, like yes. uh, the, the Bengals defensive coordinator 
that, that interviewed for the Giants job, he was down the road after they had decided on Brian Dayball too. So, it, you know, it's, it's, it's no good for anyone involved. And this is just uh, on the street. Everyone knows that, you know, everyone, the decision makers, the coaches, and the league executives, but they don't know really how to find a solution to it. I think it just pisses people off more than it does help situations. Um, again, if you don't bring in minority candidates to interview, then you're going to have that look. Um, and if you don't care about that look, it says a lot about who you are. I mean, so I just think in this day and age, and look, I think the Saints, if you didn't have the Rooney rule, I think the same candidates would be interviewing whether they had it or not. Maybe that wouldn't be the case in New York. Maybe it wouldn't be the case in Denver. I don't know. Um, I'm not in the mind of John Elway or in the minds of anyone in the Giants organization. I have no idea. But I've followed the Saints long enough, and I think I know this group well enough to know that I don't think anything would have changed here. Well, I think at some point, I would say this, this may not be the the train you're on here, but um, I do think it's important in this process for the Saints organization to consider having some diversity in their key positions on the coaching staff. I agree. Uh, You you and I have both been around this team a long time. I I was talking to somebody in the organization last night that, that knows the history. I don't think the Saints have ever even had a minority coordinator in the history of the organization. And I think I'm it's almost time certain they haven't. I'm pretty sure they haven't. This would probably be a good time to, to have someone in that position that they're probably going to have two new coordinators and a new head coach. One of those three needs to be a minority. I also think that um, the NFL needs to do a better job of, they have enough money to create positions in each organization to where you have, you have a, minority uh, top administrator um, in some key position, add a position if you need to. I'm not saying you need to fire anyone that's on your staff, but have someone to work with Dennis Lauscher or Mickey Loomis or somewhere along the line and, and add a position. you got plenty of money that you can do that. And I think there need to be, I think part of the ways to solve this problem, and not enough gets talked about this, is there aren't enough minority administrators. Uh, GMs or, or directors of personnel or whatever it is. And that's where I think this needs to start before we, because the coaches, are the, we talked about it with Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis and Mickey Loomis is in the back background and he likes it that way. Well, I mean, let's start with administrators and because administrators are going to, minority administrators are going to be more serious about hiring minority coaches. Well, look, you got, you had Terry, Terry Fondo come through here and now he's a general yep. manager in Atlanta. Yep. And you got Kai Harley, who's certainly a general manager candidate in the front office here. So I think they've done a great job uh, in that. Foster. I'm just saying overall in the, in the NFL, Dunk. I don't yeah, mean yeah, this with yeah. Saints. No, no, yeah. I, I just feel like um, you know, there, there's there's going to be an opportunity here. Uh, you know, and you've got a worthy candidate already on the roster here in the coaching roster with Chris Richard, who's been a defense coordinator before. Uh, you know, he would seem to me if Dennis Allen gets his job to be. Uh, a, a really strong candidate to be promoted to D.C. along with Ryan Nielsen. One of those two, I think, would get the job if D.A. got promoted. I guess, in other words, before I move off this topic, is um, if 
if anyone out there is listening and is just, I, I completely sympathize isn't the right word, but I, I guess I understand as well as I can understand the plight of um, where it's tough for a black man or any minority candidate to get a real job in this, in this day and age still here in 2022 in the NFL. And I think they should. Um, I just don't know how you change it. And I guess the, uh, you know, the best explanation I heard uh, yesterday was it's going to be hard to change until we, until ownership, like kind of you touched on until ownership starts changing, but then how do you change that? Um, So mindsets need to be changed because when you go into the coach and search process, I can tell you right now, again, I have, I love Dennis Allen. I think he's great. I don't know that he's necessarily the best candidate for this job, but that I'm just someone on the outside looking in a sports writer. I, Mickey Loomis would know obviously way more than anyone else. So whatever decision he makes, I'm going to trust. But at the same time, my favorite candidate is Eric Bieniemy, And I think second on my list would probably be Brian Flores because I like the model that the saints used and to hire someone that comes from these coaching trees and Dennis Allen's been under Sean Payton long enough to where he's in the Sean Payton coaching tree. I get that. But I like going after uh, someone who hasn't necessarily been a head coach before and has something to prove. And I don't know, but a long winded response to, I don't want anyone to take things the wrong way because I definitely think there needs to be, there need to be more minority coaches in the NFL whether it's head coaches or coordinators like you talk about. And the Saints, you're right, at the top of the list. They need to have a minority, at least a minority coordinator in the near future, and we need to work on that in administration as well. So it's a well, tough situation. I'd say this. I'd say this, you know, in a little bit of a different direction here, but I'm fresh in the middle of writing my column about Mickey Loomis, and it, it did strike me that he's kind of almost in the exact same spot he was in 2006, yeah, he's got to hire a head coach, and they have to find a quarterback. And they're the two most important decisions you can make. And, and no question, Mickey Lewis hit back-to-back grand slams in the months of January and February back in 2006. Now, can he pull it off again? I mean, that's hard to, to, to expect, right? Uh, you know, you only hire a Sean Payton once a generation. I mean, find a Drew Brees, but. That's the challenge he's got, and I think he's invigorated by it. I think he's stimulated by the tap and is embracing it, not running from it. Now, can you pull it off? I mean, the odds are they, they're not going to be able to. Just look around the league, see it time after time after time uh, where these organizations slip into mediocrity after a run like this. But it's not always the case. The Pittsburgh Steelers, Bill Cowher walked away. They found Mike Tomlin. They've had sustained success over that period. That's where he's at right now, and he knows it's a huge, huge decision. And if he makes the right call, J.D., he knows that he's not going to have to make another head coaching hire because he's going to retire before this head coach uh, ends his tenure here. Yeah, he hopes that this is the last time he ever has to do this, right? I mean, if he's got – I mean, I don't, I don't know. You could, you, you're a better guesser than I am. I mean, it's funny because when I was talking with Mike Dettelier a, a few months ago – and talking about how Sean Payton could coach 10 more years if he wanted to. He's like, he stopped me. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Sean Payton's not coaching 10 more years. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, 
I think he's got three years tops. I mean, and I thought he was just blowing smoke. And obviously he knew something that, that I didn't know or didn't even think of. Sean Bain had a lot less time than that. So Yeah. Uh, and look, you know, talking to people in Mobile about about Sean's situation, um, you know, there were a lot of people that knew this was a possibility someday. Just nobody knew when it was gonna be. But I can tell you this, Mickey Loomis was surprised. Uh, he didn't he was not he prepared was. for this. You're you're yeah, saying he, that he was yeah, he was not. He was not. He knew that Sean was thinking about these things, but I don't think he ever thought he would actually come through with it. And uh, but having said that, he's quickly pivoted, and I think clearly looking forward. And he did say, I asked him about this. I said, "Have you been talking to Sean, or have you picked his brain?" And he said, "You better believe I have." I mean, so he does have some input as far as just his thoughts on some of the candidates. But Sean told him, he said. I'm not going to give you that unless you ask for it. In other words, I'm, I'm staying out of it, but if you want my input on certain candidates, I'll tell you what I know, and that's how they've handled it. I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't mean to ask you that, and I was going to forget to ask you. So I'm glad to hear that Sean Payton is going to have some input because, frankly, he should. Uh, he's earned that right, to I think, to, to have at least some input and say on, uh, on who his successor is. Uh, before I let you go, I do want to – you know, maybe we'll have you on uh, again next week, or we'll have you on right after. Uh, we're about to go back to one one show a week after the Super Bowl's over. But um, what are your thoughts on the Super Bowl? And uh, obviously, it's a fun one for us here in the New Orleans area. There's plenty of uh, LSU guys playing in the Super Bowl. They're former Saints. Um, I just I can't tell you how happy I was for Von Bell last week. Um, yeah, he, he, we haven't really talked about him a lot, but. When Von, I mean, I, I screened in my TV. Von Bell. I mean, it was it was just it was exciting to to see to see him make a play. And you know, he didn't want to leave here, but it was best for him personally to to go to Cincinnati. And it turned into the right decision. But so many LSU plays players, so many there's Rummel guys, there's, there's you know just former Saints. It's just fun. Yeah, you know, that's a really good point. And, and I, I bring this up all the time. I haven't covered the league for as long as I've covered it. You never know, right? When Von Bell left here and went to the Bengals, when Trey Henderson went to the Bengals, everybody was like, wow, good luck there. Right. Look where, look where they're at now. Where would you rather be? <laughs> right. I mean, with, with Joe Burrow and, and leading that, you know, they're, they're going to be good for a while. There's no doubt about it. You know, it's funny. I was doing my, my column for the sports betting page yesterday, really kind of diving into the Super Bowl for the first time. And I kind of flipped around, J.D. I, I, I went from thinking this was going to be Rams, kind of a low-scoring defensive game, to where I actually think we're going to get a shootout. I think it's going to be high-scoring. And, and, and I think the Bengals got a shot in this one. You know, I probably wouldn't bet the game because I think it could go either way, and I don't feel strongly about either side. But if I were forced to, I would take the Bengals just because I think it's that close and you always take the points if, if you think it's a toss-up. But I really feel like the two quarterbacks are playing so well right now, even though the defenses are good. I think this sets up for kind of one of those – remember those old Super Bowls we used to yeah. have where they were yep. wide open? And then the last few years, the unders covered. It's been low scoring. And I think that's affecting the betting public. And right now the line's moving down. The total's 48-and-a-half. I think we could see, you know, a game in the 30s or, you know, high 20s on both sides because – uh, I just think Burrow, if you look at the Rams' schedule, they've not really played a lot of elite quarterbacks the last, you know, eight games or so. And when they played them, 
They've given up some points in yards. Tom Brady. You know, up in the 30s. Yeah, exactly. Brady lit them up pretty well. Rodgers got after them. Uh, even Kyler Murray's had some big games. They've given up a bunch of 300 passing games. So the, the And I think having two weeks for Zach Taylor and an offensive staff, give them time to come up with a plan to, to protect Burrow a little bit. I'm not saying it's going to be golden because Aaron, Aaron Donald and that crew is tough, but I think they can come up with a plan to give him enough time because if he has time, I mean, there's going to be some guys open downfield. There's no doubt. I mean, they're just they're so good on the perimeter, and I just think Burrow's so good. And he's so dialed in right now that they're going to they're going to be able to move the ball and score points. So I think this is going to be a really fun game to watch, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I don't have a feel for who's going to win, but I wouldn't bet against Joe Burrow. I can tell you that. Boy, it, it really is hard to bet against Burrow, isn't it? I mean. And I've said it in all my picks columns throughout the playoffs. I mean, this kid just, he just doesn't care. I mean, he, he doesn't care. The doubters, um, he's just doing his thing. How can someone who's so young be so impressive? I mean, he looks, he doesn't play like Tom Brady, but he's got a similar kind of quiet swag, if that makes sense, like Tom Brady had. Yeah, he reminds me a lot of At Breeze that in a way of his demeanor. No, Breeze like is his. the number one guy for sure. Yeah, I just think like, you know, as far as being advanced, I mean, he's a coach's son, so he grew up around the game, and I think that helps him process things much quicker than the normal player. Uh, but the leadership characteristics that you're talking about, that swag, that confidence reminds me so much of, of Breeze and that they're very composed and professional in their demeanor, but they, they know they're good. There's no doubt about it. And, and Brady's got some of that too, you know, so, but I, I just, I think we all in Louisiana knew uh, Joe Burrow. And I think the, the rest of the country is now discovering just how good he is. You watch him and I know I'm old, but just watch him. I'm like, this dude's still a kid. When you watch him in post-game interviews, he looks, he's got this baby face. Right. He, he just, he just looks like a, he looks like someone that still should be playing college football until you see him with a helmet and pads on and doing his thing and scanning the field. I mean, it, how, how is someone this young, this good already, I guess? I mean, we've seen it in the recent past, I guess, with guys like Mahomes who have so much confidence in themselves. Um, you, you can go through and pick out some other young quarterbacks, Josh Allen, obviously, but he's going through funks in his career and his young career already. But, it's just it's it's amazing that someone this young quarterback's not supposed to be easy, and he makes it look easy. Yeah, just think how good they're going to be when they get their offensive line short. Yeah, I mean, and that's I'm sure going to be their top priority this offseason. Uh, they're going to be good for years to come, and uh, you know the balance of power has shifted to the AFC now with the quarterback play over there: Josh Allen, Mahomes, uh, Justin Herbert, Burrow. I mean, all the top quarterbacks are. Young ones, except for Kyler Murray, are over in the ASC. That's where the Saints have to get. They've got to find somebody like that. Yep. It's not that easy, uh, you know, but uh, that to me is the key. And like I told you, Mr. Duncan got cut off when his power went out uptown. You know, it happens. Weather has been a little fluky, a little weird, but an interesting conversation nonetheless. Um, I always appreciate Dunk's take. You know, he, he is all these national reporters who like to get this scoop first. No one is in the know when it comes inside that 
that building that doesn't work for that team more than Jeff Duncan. I can promise you that. And no one, maybe ever, um, you know, back to, I don't know, it's hard to say ever, I guess, but, you know, Peter Finney and Bob Rossler and all the guys that I looked up to when I was getting into this and really before I got into it, growing up as a kid, reading the newspaper. Remember those things? Newspapers? They used to come on the front lawn. You'd pick them up. I'd seal the sports section out before my dad could get to it. I'd come home. He'd be pretty pissed off. Oh, boy. That's a whole nother story. All right, let's get into Uncle Big Nick and um, betting philosophies. Now, I know a lot of you just skip over these things. If you're into betting at all, if you're just getting into it, this is a really good – this This is not so much about – who to pick this weekend or whatever, which is what we usually talk about. This is more about how to go about thinking about what you want to pick. And what I've really gotten better at, and obviously becoming the sports betting writer has made me think about things a different way when I bet. But there are guys that I listen to in pocket, and and actually there are a couple women as well. it's, It's not so much what you like as much as it is value and this whole so so many things that go into betting and we're we're gonna spend some podcasts going in the future when football is really over and we get into maybe the dog days of summer and the draft's over with and we've got time to time to kill I guess between the draft and the start of training camp And we're going to get into betting philosophies a little bit more. But I wanted to spend 10 or 15 minutes with Uncle Big Nick, who has done just outstandingly at, uh, is that a word, outstandingly? He's done outstanding. He's been outstanding. Uh, Betting golf. He hasn't been so great with football. He's been okay. But with golf, he's been outstanding. And I wanted to pick his brain on his philosophies. And as the Super Bowl comes up. We're going to get more next week into detail. We're going to have some really good guests next week, by the way. I'm going to let that be a a surprise. Um, But we're going to talk about how to make prop bets. And if you don't know what a prop bet is, because my wife said, what the hell is a prop bet? She asked me that the other day. Um, And a prop bet is basically just, it doesn't necessarily have to be a player, but something that doesn't have to do with the line, the spread, or the outcome of the game, per se. Like, Joe Burrow going to throw for more than 280 yards or whatever, over or under. You can bet either way. There are so many different things you can have. You can bet. And to me, the Super Bowl is about having fun. And if you're going to take, I would suggest, honestly, I think it's more fun to do it this way. If you're going to say, let's say you're going to take, okay, I'm going to bet $200 on the Super Bowl. Um, I've learned that I have more fun if I take $100 and bet it on what I think is going to be the outcome. And take the other $100 and spread it around maybe in three or four different places and take some prop bets. I think Joe Burrow is going to go over or under. Or I think um, Aaron Donald will have more than a sack. Or I I think that uh, the Rams will score first with a field goal or whatever. I mean, there's so many different things. You take time to look at it. But we talk about the philosophies and what we're thinking and how we get to the points that we get. 
And so that's why I think that if even if you don't normally listen to the Uncle Big Nick seg- uh, segment, this is a good one to listen to because we get into all that. Let's do it. Well, I don't know exactly how many picks we're going to make today, but uh, Uncle Big Nick, uh, you've been on a little golf roll, um, but football is over, so you kind of like, you got things to be happy about, you got things to be sad about. Yeah, well, golf is taking a sting off of the Niners, and we put it that way. Oh, see, now, I wasn't going to go there right off the bat. I was going to wait. Yeah, you was. I, I was going to go there, but I was going to wait a little bit, just a, just a little bit. Just pull the Band-Aid off quick. <laughs> I noticed you don't have a Debo Samuel jersey on today. No, I do not. I should. I mean, he's the team, but it ain't like it was his fault for losing. But it ain't like he's going to he do, doing anything for the next seven months. No, nothing. You know, but uh, you over it? I had a buddy of mine tell me that I should just bet golf and just stop betting football. So I told yeah. him, I said, after this weekend, me? I promise I will not bet football for seven months. <laughs> I thought you were talking about me. I, no, I, I, you. I, t- I told, in fact, I told, uh, I told Drea uh, that, uh, the other day, I said, you know, if Nick just bet golf and stopped betting any, uh, all other sports, that dude would probably be rich. Yeah. It, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting older, so I'm getting into that realization to where, Stick to what you're good at, and I'm. I'm you, you can't don't have it in you. You don't have it in you. You just don't. <laughs> That's because you're older. See, you already know that I don't have it in me. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, a couple of things I want to talk about this morning. Um, you know, uh, first of all, give me a take on the first week of mobile app betting. I know you and I have talked about it off the air. Now, people that may be thinking about doing it uh, and haven't done it yet, or they're they're in it. They've only made a couple of bets here and there. Um, what's your impression so far on it? My impression so far is that it's way, way too easy to lay in bed and hit live betting and just be able to bet. So you got to have self-control. I, I'm not the right person to preach self-control, but you got to try and control it. It's, I mean, I was betting live tennis, Australian open, Sunday morning at 6 a.m. I won, but I mean, I'm sitting here after I won. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, turn it off. Yeah, I mean, it's just way too easy. I have gotten good already in just a week of, I sit down at my computer about 3.30, 4 o'clock. I go over what I want to bet for the evening. And I spend about 45 minutes to an hour looking through what I want to bet. And I, try to keep it smaller. Like I picked three or four things and that's been successful so far. And then I don't make live bets. I might make one more bet the rest of the night, whether it's a live bet or, you know what, let me just pick something small in this nine thirty game to give me something to be interested in, but small. So it is hard. It, I mean, that's the hardest thing I found about these apps is just the accessibility. You know me, and you know I love odds. That's why I love golf so much, because odds are so high on what you could win. So, like, I'm watching the tennis match, and Nadal had just broke Medvedev, 
And then Medvedev had to break Nadal back, and Nadal was up 30 love. So the odds on Medvedev winning that game, just that game, was like plus 1,200 and something. So I took it, and he wound up winning the game. So, I mean, it's just the, the odds I look at it, I'm like, oh, this, this could happen. So yeah. bet it, you know, and it's just – and then yeah. afterwards, you think about it, and you're like, and how stupid it was. Dumb. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a there's a reason why stuff is twenty to one or forty to one or last week Luke List eighty to one. I mean, there's a reason yeah. why things are that high because they don't happen very often. If they did, casinos wouldn't be rich. Well, it happens more often in golf than not, but it's it's yeah. It's well, hard. I mean, it is, and all right, but let's get into. For people and the philosophy and like, okay, we've talked about how you've done well in golf and, and obviously you've helped me win a little bit here and there in golf. Um, what's your philosophy going in? How much time now? I know you spent a lot of time listening to podcasts and people who know what they're talking about, but now you're getting to the point where, I mean, yeah, you want to hear their opinions, but you form your picks upon your own, your own kind of method. What, uh, what do you do to be successful in picking golf? The thing with golf is you got to know the course. Like this week's hard to say because this week they play it on three different courses. But it, it, you're going to bet guys like fantasy. I bet the guys that are playing on the easiest course for the showdowns. So they're going to do the best because they're playing the easiest course. But when you have one course, you got to look at the fairways. You got to look at how wide the fairways are, how short you know, narrow the fairways are. Like last week's tournament, you wanted guys that were really good with their irons from like 170 to 195. And, and they how do you find that? How do you find that? You just, you, you look it up. You know, you got to, to sit, I don't know how to say statistics, but you got it all over the internet. You can find it, Google it, and it's there. You know, all the stats, everything is there. PGA.com has it. And I go there Twitter has it if you follow the right guys. I can go print everything out on Monday, look at everything, and then go from there. And I don't like betting. I don't bet favorites. Like, I just don't do it. I don't. There's no Tigers anymore. Tigers not right. in there. That's John that's Rahm's what, always, like, right. plus 550. He won one tournament last year. Right. You know, I mean, it's just. So, I, I look at, you know. Justin guys Thomas that, always up there. Yeah. You look at guys that's going to be in contention, like Jason Day right now. Jason Day had won seven tournaments in a year a long time ago, like 10 years ago, but he's been injured. Now he's getting healthy. He knows how to win. He hasn't won yet. So that's a guy that's going to be on my card until he wins because I know he's going to win soon. And also a guy like Jason Day, you look at his past. I like to look at past performances on that particular course. And, uh, you know, I went back and <clears throat> did some research with Jason Day. And then one of the reasons, you know, I took some of your picks and I went through them. And the reason why I like Jason Day is he has a history of consistently finishing in the top 10 at Pebble Beach. So yeah. you, you to bet him. So I bet him not only to win just a little bit, but I bet more on him to finish in the top 20 at plus 110, I believe. You got to think it's better than even odds. You think you're getting good value on a guy like Jason Day who's consistently done well. There and not only that, Nick. I think when you're betting golf, they like to stay. They don't like to travel up, like all over the place, especially this time of year. So they're spending a lot of time in California right now. So there are certain guys that do well in California because of whatever the type of courses they are. 
So if you had a guy that did well last week, the chances are he's probably going to do well again this week. Right. And where they go to college has a lot to do with that, too. Yeah, that's true. Because you got Maverick McNeely, who played on the West Coast his whole career. He played all these courses. So, of course, he's going to do good there because they all built the state. So, and, and you don't have to, like, say, okay, well, the guy's a 25 to one shot. You can bet him to, to finish in the top 20 um, or even go as far as I think. And it's normally plus odds. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a way to you look got 150 at golfers finishing in the top 20. You still going to get plus odds on that. All right. Second and you top... were talking about course history. I mean, yeah. Pebble Beach, the last 13 years, I think it is. Somebody had finished in the top 10 the last three years. That's who won. Right. So you wanted to bet people that's finished in the top 10 in the last three years with your odds better. Yeah. I mean, if it happens a bunch of years in a row, chances are it's going to happen again. So, yeah. Uh, Uncle Big Nick here on a Friday morning on the Data 2 podcast. Uh, I do want to talk about your philosophy for prop bets. Now, next week, obviously, uh, we're going to spend our time talking about who we think is going to win the Super Bowl or at least going to cover in the Super Bowl and talk more about the totals uh, and things like that because I haven't really honestly uh, begun my handicap on it. I've kind of, you know, I said, you know what, we got a week off from football. I'm going to kind of take a week off from football. And I have. Um, it's I been have weird. Too. It, it, it was I've done not, nothing but golf handicap all week. It, it was kind of nice to get away from football a little bit. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm going to miss it. Um, but when you go through the grind of 21 straight weeks of like, okay, it's, it's Tuesday. Today's the day I start looking through everything and crunching numbers and what I think and all that. It's, it was nice to have a, a week completely away from it. But this is kind of the fun time when we start looking at, for some people out there who, are dabbling around in the app and they don't want to just pick, you know, Rams minus four and a half, Bengals minus four and a half, Bengals money line, mattress Mac, what a fool, uh, plus 170, put four, dude's got four so point five million dollars. Who I knew knew. selling mattresses? <laughs> mattresses are always on sale. Have you ever was, passed by and never had a sale on mattresses? No. And, and How much money are they making on mattresses? I have no idea, but, you know, I was telling my wife about it last night. She says, you know, because I was telling him what he does is he throws out these promotions. You know, if if probably has to do with tied in Joe Burrow. There's a lot of LSU alums and fans in Houston. And if you haven't seen it, Mattress Mac placed a wager of uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of four point five million dollars on the Bengals money line at plus one seventy, which pays seven point seven million if he wins. But he does it a lot of times when he makes these big bets. He does it kind of as insurance almost. He puts out these these uh, promos, I guess. And I think if the Bengals win the Super Bowl, he probably, you know, or maybe if Joe Burrow's the MVP, I need to go look. I have no idea. But uh, usually what he does is then if you buy a mattress between X date and X date, if the Bengals win the Super Bowl, then you get your mattress for free. So he's oh, kind of... Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's why he makes these bets. So he's protecting his own butt, but at the same time becoming a celebrity. And people are going to buy mattresses for Mattress Mac because, hey, it's cool. But uh, other than that, I mean, when you're looking into your prop bets, and I know you're already starting to look, how much do you tie into what you think's gonna, who you think is going to win into prop bets? Or are you just saying this player against this defense or, you know, somebody's hot or whatever? What are, your, what are your philosophies when you're looking at prop bets? Well, in prop bets, 
like I did last week with the burrow rushing yards that I hit. I mean, I knew he would have to run for his life and have to run for first downs because his offensive line is bad. And then you got to you got to think about how do you think the game's going to go. And I think this game goes under. I don't think there's a lot of scoring in this game. So I'm going to be looking at a lot of unders. And it's the Super Bowl, so everybody's going to be wanting to bet everything over. Yeah, every rate is going to be jacked up, even the prop bets. So I really – I like a lot of unders in this. I mean, Cam Akers rushing yards under. I think Michelle's going to – in the Super Bowl, you're not going to trust Akers, I don't think. I mean, with the fumble problems, he's going to – I don't know about that. Maybe. I don't know. It's just – I haven't really looked at everything yet, but – I like Cooper Cup MVP. I think that's plus 700. Yeah, that, that was my favorite MVP bet, I think, because we talked about it yesterday on Bayou Bets. Um, if, if Cincinnati wins 19 times out of 20, Joe Burrow is going to be the MVP. First of all, yes. because all this talk about how great he's been, the, the writers are going to want to, like, award him something. So unless, like, Jamar Chase has... 200 yards receiving and Burrow only had 280 and he had 200 yards of it, which isn't going to happen. Um, I just hope Burrow, like, not to get off on a tangent, but everybody's talking about Burrow and if you don't win this one, you know, he's going to be back there because he's so good. They said the same thing about Dan Marino. Like, you know, I mean. Right, he never got back. Yeah. Never got back. But, I mean. I mean, you look at the AFC. I mean, I know Mahomes had a bad game, but you got Mahomes. Uh, you just you got je- you, you you got- just jealous because you never got that Bengals ticket down. No, no, I'm not that jealous. I'm just saying. Yeah. I mean, I'm just you wanted them to lose, there. remember? Yeah, I did want them to lose. <laughs> it happens. Um, but yeah, I, look at you said about Burrow. He's going to win the MVP if the Bengals win. If the Rams win, I don't necessarily think it's going to. It's I mean, seven times out of ten, it's probably going to be Stafford. Maybe six times out of ten. But if Cooper Cup has a great game and he gets slighted, I don't want to say slighted is the right word, but if he doesn't win NFL MVP, which is going to come out before the Super Bowl, he's going to Cooper Cup's going to get a little sympathy from the from the voters on MVP in the game if he does anything great. So I think he is a, I think he is an excellent. I definitely think he's a better than a seven to one chance to to win MVP. So I do think that's a great prop bet, but. Oh yeah, it's definitely it's definitely worth the money. Put it that way. What's just your, I mean, general philosophy? You talk about and you go through, so you have to play the game through in your mind basically before you even go into what do you think is a good prop bet? Yeah, I mean, if like if you think the Bengals are going to be down at halftime, Burrow overpassing attempts, yeah. you know, because they're yeah. going to be throwing the ball a lot. If you think they're going to be ahead. You know, then you think they're gonna run the ball to try and eat the clock in the second half. Maybe you I like mixing that. Yeah, and you like mixing. I mean, the Rams last week. I I never thought I'd say this, but they out physical the 49ers in the second half. So they yeah. brought the intensity. So I don't know if they. I know it's the Super Bowl, so they're gonna be fired up. But uh, are they gonna bring that same intensity in the first half that they had in the second half of that game? I don't know. But, I mean, I, I could see the rushing yards. Maybe Mixon gets away for a few, you know, in the first half. Yeah. We are going to give you a uh, a whole week to think about what you like as your prop bets because next week 
we'll make our picks, but I think we're going to, you and I, instead of, we're going to stay away from the game and the total itself. Um, because I'll do that with, 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 with Dave in our short little segment next week. But I think next week you and I are going to come on here and we're going to give our three best prop bets. And we're not going to tell each other what they are. We're going to come on Friday show next week and just give our three best prop bets. And we're going to give our reasons why. Can it be um, any prop bet? It could be any prop bet except stupid crap like the coin toss and what color Gatorade's going to get dumped on the winning coach. Okay. I don't want. I want like real stuff. I mean, this whole coin toss. I hate. I know you like that and you think it's funny and you text me like, "Oh, great, there was heads." Yes, I won. That is the dumbest crap ever. Ever. I mean, you're like giving money away because the odds on it are stupid. You're. You're not going to get 50-50 odds on it. It's never plus 100. You're giving money. The, the bookies are just loving when you bet on stupid stuff like that. So it can't be stupid stuff. Put it that way. Okay. And you're smarter enough to know what stupid is. Am I? I mean, kind of. You're kind of smart <laughs> enough to know what stupid is. So if, 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 I'm, if I give you the little button that means pick again so maybe you ought to have like five or six of them and if yeah, you, yeah I, might have, I might have a backup all right if you got the but if you get the buzzer that one doesn't count all right uncle big nick we're gonna talk to you next friday all right but so i hope that that shed a little light on what we're thinking right on how it happens again next week we'll be more focused about the super bowl itself and what our picks actually are so next friday um besides some other special guests we're going to have during the week. Um, we're going to talk about, uh, obviously we'll have my game pick and maybe talk about the over-under with Conductor Dave, D-squared Dave DeCorbier, who has made picks all season long uh, with us. And we'll make our game picks. Cincinnati currently a four-and-a-half-point underdog to the Rams. And the total is uh, expected to be 48 and a half. You think it's going to be over or under that? We'll talk about that. But with Uncle Big Nick, we're probably going to focus more on prop bets and how to have fun with it. So hopefully you'll be here for that. Some programming notes. We're going to transition into uh, one show a week in the very near future. Um, We are going to have two shows next week, uh, our regular Tuesday and Friday. And then the following week, our regular Tuesday and Friday show. So we have two more weeks of two shows per week. And then we're going to go into one show per week, uh, probably on a Friday. And that is going to last until probably maybe a week or two before the draft. Um, and then we'll kind of pick it up again a little bit. Kind of be, But uh, I just think that uh, going forward, we're a football-centric show. I mean, I'm not fooling anyone. We do talk about the Pelicans here and there. We talk about LSU basketball here and there. We'll talk about high school sports here and there. But, um, you know, it's been a long year. And uh, I'm going to take a little bit of a, of a break from the show. Um, and actually, I'm planning a vacation. I always take off the week before Mardi Gras. So um, as we transition, just to give you a heads up, that's where we're going with Datitude soon. Um, but interestingly enough... Today's episode number 53. Super Bowl 56 is a week from Sunday. Episode number 56 will be a week from Tuesday. Uh, Barring 
if the Saints hire a coach and we think we need to add extra show, that could that could happen. I doubt it. Uh, we probably would just cover it on whatever the following attitude is. Uh, but we'll see right now as it's scheduled. Uh, episode 56 will be the two days after Super Bowl 56. So I've, I found that interesting. And again, if, you, uh, if you've been jumping around and you didn't hear me say it in the beginning, I thank everyone so much. Again, as we're getting in the neighborhood of uh, 25,000 listens to this show, um, somewhere I didn't think we'd be this early in. Uh, just been doing it since September. And I know a lot of it has to do with our great guest. Uh, we have had wonderful uh, guests join the show, and I'm hoping to, to go to sort of even higher heights in the off season, shoot high, right? Aim high, shoot high, and we'll see what happens. We couldn't do it without you, though. That is going to wrap up episode number 53. I do want to thank Jeff Duncan and Uncle Big Nick for coming on the show. And next week's going to be fun. Um, again, some surprises coming up, I hope. As we look towards Super Bowl 56, obviously, if there is any news with the Saints coaching search, we will certainly touch on that. I uh, As we go out, I'm going to we're playing some music here that kind of like is is the feel of the weekend, right? If you've looked at the weather forecast, you know, it's just cold as ice. It's cold as ice. Someday we'll pay the price. Oh, boy. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. If you must watch the Pro Bowl, if you have something better to do, please do it. Don't forget to hug the ones you love and the ones you don't. Yeah, figure it out. <laughs> See you next Tuesday. Peace and love, my friends. Yeah.